0: You know, this feels a lot like the last time I looked at this franchise. I was looking at just the first game in a series which... in basically every way felt like... Act 1. Of a series. I mean, good lord, the ending? <laughs> what the hell? What happens next? Uh, eh, anyways. anyways. Um, that being said... I have to admit that I don't really care for most of the finale of this game because most of this game felt really nice and low tier in a way that made sense and then all of a sudden, mecha! <laughs> I, I mean, I know, I know, I know. It's a JRPG and it's a Japanese thing in general so of course mechs are going to happen. And I even like mechs. Not these type of mechs, but mechs in general. It's just, just I don't know, mecha! Why? Anyways, Anyways, for anybody curious, I was playing on the PS3 version. Um... Gameplay. So, one of the first things that I was reminded of while playing this game, there's actually two other games I was reminded of most. One was Final Fantasy X, and one was basically all of the recent Fire Emblems. I liked the tactical links thing, because it's the kind of thing that, for the most part, didn't really seem to be that useful, if I'm being completely honest. Not unless you get, like, a full link going across the entire crew. But it just felt like a nice way to kind of have a bit of story and gameplay integration there. As the class members are getting closer, they work better together, and thus they actually literally have not only a metaphysical connection with each other, but literally act better in a team, knowing each other's moves and and movesets in order to be able to work better. That just makes sense to me, and I kind of like that mechanic when it comes to gameplay. I feel like it doesn't quite come off the way it should be, but I mean, this is a PS3 game, or a Vita game if you prefer, so obviously this, you know, it's a slightly older game It doesn't have all the advantages of that. I do have to say, though, Burst really was useful in several occasions. That was a very fun thing. I also kind of like the... Uh, well, I mentioned Final Fantasy X, so... The combat system, the actual specific combat, not the gameplay, but specifically the combat, felt the most like FF10. Your typical standard turn-based game game where you can actually see the initiative order on the left and everything that's going to interact with and change that initiative as you go through, which is great, actually. I actually really enjoy that type of combat. If I've never really been more in favor or less in favor of turn-based versus ATB versus pure action. I guess that's actually three things, not two. But I do like a good turn-based game, and I enjoyed the combat of of FF10 just as much as I enjoyed the combat here. So it's a lot of fun to be able to go through that and try to... I don't know. It adds for a very deliberate pace. And the funny thing about that deliberation is that deliberation is decided entirely by you the player, you decide exactly how fast everything goes. If you start to memorize where all the menus are, and of course you have the little shortcuts you can do, that, so any given turn can go very quickly, or you can just pause and sit for a moment and think, which is one of the benefits of anything that happens to be turn-based. It's just a nice little thing, and I enjoyed that. But I mentioned the FF10 thing as well, because I got this really weird vibe. Like, the whole game I had that kind of, you know, FF10-y kind of a thing, and then Valimar shows up, and we start fighting with Valimar right at the end, and it's like, Wow, this feels exactly like if I had just summoned something as Yuna in in FF10. (laughs) I honestly wonder if any of that was a deliberate parallel or if that was just something that happened as a consequence. I have no idea. I just wanted to comment on that because it was interesting. I do have to say, by the way, um, I'm really curious if anybody else who's played this game leaned as heavily as I did on buff food, which I used constantly because... (laughs) And your strength goes up. Although, really, the big one was speed. Speed was just king in this game. I also... I didn't actually get to try this out fully because I didn't have the time to really spend to get all the gear in order to make this work properly. But I'm told that you can get a full-on evasion tank thing going if you have, use Insight, along with a bunch of other casting... Or, excuse me, a bunch of other equipment that pushes your evasion. I like it, it has that those options. Um... I also... Uh, so, I... I hmm. The gameplay was good. Let's just let's just finish with saying that. It was also a really weird game to play immediately following the Xenoblades. I don't even remember if this is supposed to be before or after the Xenoblades in my schedule, but I played Chronicles X and then uh, Chronicles 2, and then I played this game, and going straight from those full-on AR- ARPGs where you have no control of your party members to a t- typical tactical you know game like this, which was uh, far more turn-based, was just... Ugh. Like, downshifting on the highway, mentally speaking. But it was a nice breather. I never got bored. I never got bored of the combat. I think at least part of that is helped by the music, too. I really enjoyed the music of this one. Although, funnily enough, the two that stuck with me the most are the ones, as of right now, are the ones that I basically just heard. The one, the song that plays in the lead-up to the last boss fights with uh, Scarlet and then... Excuse me, Vulcan then Scarlet. Er No, it's not actually Vulcan he fight? Is it Siegfried? The dude... <laughs> And then Scarlet, and then of course Crow, but then there's also the uh, the actual final boss fight itself with C, which was a really awesome song. And for the most part, that helped me to keep in the flow of things. But also, I have to talk about the voice acting. Now, the voice acting actually felt pretty good. Most of the voice acting was decent. There wasn't any of the voice direction problems that I've mentioned with regards to the other games I've covered recently. But the voice acting was very intermittent, which just drives me batty. I get why people do that. I just hate it. I know that's, that's just a personal preference thing. But I hate how there will literally be scenes where it's text, 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 text. Anyways, I'm Elise. It, God, I hate it when I do that. I'm sorry. It's just a personal preference thing. The voice acting was still good, and it was at least still there for most of the major cutscenes. So that's something. I kind of wish they'd just gone all or nothing, if I'm being honest, though. But that's just a preference thing, like I said earlier. I do have to mention one thing, and this I wanted to talk about this earlier, but this is kind of drifting into story. The story, like I mentioned, aside from the mechas right at the last minute, was very grounded. But also I got a similar vibe as I did from the last trails game I played, in that it feels very well constructed. Like someone sat down with multiple pieces of paper and multiple charts and multiple, you know, boards or whatever, and actually sat down and said, "Okay, this person's here; they connect to this. This person's here; they connect to this." Someone did their history and backward to make sure that everything makes sense in universe and everything connects appropriately in universe as it should. It adds a wonderful layer of near continuous believability throughout the entire work. Obviously, this didn't really blend over all that much to the previous Trails of Games, which, to my understanding, happened before this game. Although, it was nice to see Oliver again, (laughs) even in the same general outfit when he first shows up. And, of course, we also have the occasional Ouroboros, or Ouroboros, if you prefer, encounters, or excuse me, interactions, because we know that they're involved at least a little bit on the side of the Imperial Liberation Front. (sighs) Oh, and then there's Sharon. What the hell is she doing here? Although, I do have to say, I I find myself once again wondering what the hell Ouroboros actually wants. Like, what their actual goal is. Now, I don't want to spoil future things on this one. And again, I haven't played two or three or four of this series. Of this particular section of this series, of of the Cold Steel series. But, huh? Moving on. First thing I want to talk about is, I like how the factions in this game are all portrayed as just different political factions. In other words, there are, if, I don't know, there's, there's something wonderfully believable about it. It is a group of nobles, the, uh, well, let's actually, it's Osborne and his crew, the Greens, who are so insistent on trying to ensure the greater populace and ensure the prosperity of the people, basically at any cost, even if it means war with France! Oh, I, I mean, sorry, sorry. Look, I'm sorry, I cannot help but think of Osborne as Bismarck. I'm really curious if anybody else has come up with that connection, because to me it was so obvious, I feel stupid for even mentioning it. Um, they even call him the Iron Chancellor. In fact, I think actually at one point they called him the Iron and Blood Chancellor, which is Bismarck, and the guy who really wants to better his people and better the common people at any cost, at a cost of blood and war and, you know, real politic. Hello? Anyways, so we've got him on the one side, and then we've also got the Noblists. On the other side, the Whites, who are like, oh no, we must return to the old ways. And it doesn't help that almost every single higher-ranking member of the noblest faction, the ILF side, that we see is someone who is um, a horrible person. <laughs> like, almost all of their motivations are extremely selfish or personal or just because they want to be back at the top of the heap. It's it's oh, In many cases, um, Duke Cayenne is probably my favorite example of this. They literally just want to be back in the position they used to have to to maintain the power and the traditionalist strength of the noble class. And the classism is severe. In fact, one of the things I like was that Oliver, uh, one of his motivations for starting class seven was in order to try and force the beginnings of what might eventually be societal progress by showcasing that your birth doesn't really indicate your status. Yeah, your status. That, you're, that the nobility of your blood isn't something that should be indicative to what kind of a life you lead. Which is very relevant because in the Urbonian Empire, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong, there are there's so, so much classism going on. Holy crap! And it's so normal! That's the really interesting thing. Because based on what I saw in Trails of the Sky, the previous game that I covered, and based on what I've seen in this game, it feels like this is one of the only holdouts of that kind of mentality, of that truly caste-based, uh, tiered system of, of status when it comes to whether you are noble blood or common blood. I say caste, that's not actually accurate, but it's very similar to that. You know, you are high birth or you are low birth, period. And that infects everything. One of the things I do like that they did with the whole schoolyard perspective is showing how even kids, naturally, would still have the exact same kind of biases that their parents had because... Who do you think taught it to them? Thus, kind of showcasing how this cycle of classism has been perpetuated for however long it's been at this point. So that's what the other side represents. The, uh, let's call them the obviously bad guys. I do have to mention, though, uh, from what I understand, because obviously I do research for these things, uh, from what I understand, they don't really showcase a whole lot of the actual noble alliance or presentation of that. until more later, like that really becomes a thing later on. All I have to say about it right now is I really do like this politics versus politics kind of conflict. That leads me to talking about the classroom thing. I, okay, so I've played Final Fantasy Type Zero, and I've played this, and I am aware, although I wasn't aware of this until last year? The year before last? It's fairly recently in my life that apparently the whole class thing, the, the school thing, is a really common storytelling trope over in Japan. I wasn't aware of this. I have only, to, to date, encountered three examples of this, counting this one. But having, uh, having studied this and having been told about this, I actually asked my sister, who's far more prolific when it comes to both manga and anime, about this. It is an extremely common storytelling trope. To the point where there's actually quite a few fan uh, concepts as well centered around, you know, what here's such and such, but in school, you know, that kind of a take on things. Which, it's funny because I myself have independently thought of that for a couple things. I think it would be a nice change to the dynamic. Because the idea, and this is just from my perspective here, is let's say, let's take something, I don't know, Star Wars. Okay, Star, Star Wars, but in school. And so you kind of bring everything down a little bit what it does is it reduces the stakes, but also makes things more, for lack of a better term, human, at least assuming you do it right. Because now it's about ideas and concepts, interactions between people that we've all probably been through back when we actually went through school. And thus it adds a huge layer of relatability to the otherwise dynamics that already exist. At least that's what I think from a theoretical perspective. And I do think they do a good job with that, like I mentioned with the classism thing earlier. But at the same time, Just like with Type-0, it's a class of superpowered dooms who know how to use their orbals very well. I mean, there's a reason we all have the red jackets, right? It's because we're the ones who are best attuned and therefore basically can be the best in combat. Okay, excuse made, I get it. But at the same time, the amount of combat prowess we portray throughout the course of the game, I don't know, it loses me somewhere along the line. I know that it's a military academy, I get it. It's just... I'm not into watching girls and in short skirts fighting giant meccas. That's just not my, that's not my, I'm not that demographic. I, I suppose the nicest way to put that coffee, right? So it, it just, it was an interesting perspective, but it just kept losing me. The narrative just kept losing me because it, it would go back to class. Or I'm, well, actually, no, that's not true. It would go away from class. The class perspective was the most interesting parts to me. I know that sounds so strange given what I just mentioned, but the moments where you have the, like the, the connection missions or whatever the hell they were called between people, or you could go, I mean, the concert, right? And you have to actually undertake a quiz and they actually give you the information that you can do to go through that. And the, the discussions about what's going on in the world around you. Like if I was, a stupid statement, I know this is segueing, but if I was to make a, School game? I don't know what this genre is called. Help me out guys. If I was to make a school game, what I would do is I would set it in the middle of another grander story. And so the people in this school read reports or hear from things or are affected by what's going on, but the focus of the game is always on the school. And so we hear reports about the attack and, and the, the capturing of the minors, or we see uh, information about, or, or maybe like one of the, the kids shows up at school and is very quiet because their parents just died as a consequence of being sent to the front, front lines, or maybe one of the villages was attacked, or it was a counter-terrorism attack by the element, blah, 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 blah. There's so much you could do with that by keeping the focus here, and seeing not the events themselves, but how the people, the kids, more specifically, the teenagers, react to these events. I think there's some potential there. <sighs> but I digress. I do want to mention, uh, the, uh, the theme. Sorry. I know, I know I had one other thing to talk about in specific here, and that's the overall dominant theme, in my opinion, of the work. And that's teamwork, basically. I know that sounds stupid, but I don't want to say it so simply because the game itself goes out of its way to show it in multiple levels of complexity and and from differing perspectives. Obviously, the very idea of one person being like, I'm going to do this by myself, almost universally fails. Uh, Reen by the end of the game, with uh, Valimar, is an excellent example of that. And the fact that he only gets away thanks to the combined efforts of his entire class is indicative in its own right. God, what an ending. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> I do legitimately want to ha- find out what happens next, but I've decided not to read up on it. So, anyways, but, uh, Let's talk about Osborne because I, because I feel like there's three uh, best perspectives when it comes to the mentality of teamwork here. Now, Osborne is the easiest one, because he is basically the opposite of teamwork. He is believing in supreme centralized power. We will make a more powerful, unified, centralized power, and this will all be under the Great Empire. We will... <laughs> and dis- he's not evil. I don't want to say it like that, but the man is absolutely ruthless in his pursuit of it. And, well, I do like how he bloodlessly manages to conquer server areas, bloodlessly, by managing to instead use political and economic pressure in order to kind of force people into treaties and signings, what like that. It's interesting to see that kind of form of conquest being presented in a game like this. It's something you almost never see when it comes to fiction in general. But, he's still having the absolute, I mean, the Civil War basically starts with his death, right? Obviously, I don't know this for certain, because the Civil War would have started after this game ends, but by all accounts, with his death, it's over now. See, that's the problem with such a centralized power base. It is, in fact, the exact same problem that happened with Bismarck, historically, and the Prussians, because with Bismarck removed from the position of power, that whole web of alliances and interactions and the incredibly interesting, intricate setup he had completely fell apart because it no longer had someone as intelligent and driven necessary to drive it. This is, of course, then the problem of the individual. This actually even applies in a gameplay perspective. How many of you guys have done a single character challenge in an RPG? I have. I love doing that. But what makes it so challenging is you have one point of failure. You screw up. You get hit by a doom spell or you happen to not do well enough or you misspell or miscast or whatever and something goes wrong, you're dead. There's no recovery possible because there's no one else to recover you. makes sense? And it's the same idea on the the macroscopic scale here. Forgive me for borrowing that term. It's the same thing with regards to the political scale. This, this empire is screwed without Osborne, by all accounts. I don't know if this is true, but I certainly predict it as such, which, of course, leads me to the nobles. Now, the nobles, they're kind of... I like to call them the perversion of a concept. And I hate to use that word because usually it means something more sexual. But what I mean is taking something and then perverting it in a way that it isn't supposed to be. More or less the literal uh, definition of the word. In other words, they, there's all the noble families that all function as the ones who are funding this whole uh, Imperial Liberation Front, you know, the Noble Alliance thing. But they're not actually a team. They look like they're a team because it's a group of people working together. But that's not a team. That's, that's a group. <laughs> or a mob at worse. Instead, all of them seem to be almost moving in total contradiction to each other to the point where they're actively getting in the way of each other's problems, thus being the, well, not the opposite of teamwork so much as the perversion of teamwork, like I said. The exception to that, of course, being C and Scarlet are probably the only two who really actually had anything close to actual legitimate teamwork, and both of them are terrorists who want to take down Osborne because he's wrong, yo! Not that I don't understand their point, it's just... (sighs) But that brings us to the class, Class 7 themselves, who, especially depending on your your interactions throughout the game, can be made into a real team, a group of people who actually are in sync with each other and work to cover each other and benefit each other. Because that's the whole point of teamwork. There's really two points to teamwork. You do what they can't, so you cover a wider base of either utility or ability or capacity or whatever, and you now help them... When they fail, multiple points of failure, right? I mean, to, to stretch this analogy into architecture, imagine for a moment if there was a building that a single, singular pillar, one pillar right in the middle of it, no walls. So it'll stay there as long as nothing happens to that pillar. But if, that, if something happens to that pillar, but a real team is one that has multiple pillars, or walls as you, as you prefer, in order to be able to keep that roof upright. And I really like how Class 7 actually managed to showcase that throughout the course of the game. Indeed, if, if anything, I find myself wondering if they're gonna do anything with Class 7 in the future, because if you were to ask me my opinion, which you didn't of course, but I mean you're watching this video by this point, so I assume you at least are curious, I would say that Class 7 has basically finished their character arc for the most part. Reen hasn't. Reen is obviously main character material. I mean, he's even got the whole I am the Awakener and hidden power thing that I have no idea what's going on with that. But most of the Class Seven has basically gone through their arcs and reached the point where they are now a conclusive team. So what's next at that point? Given the fact that most of them were left behind to cover his escape, I wouldn't be surprised if they are effectively, let's say, leaving the narrative. Anyways, I really do uh, find this whole series fascinating, because in many ways it's endemic of its time. I can't tell you how many scenes where I actually started to get a little aggravated, despite being interested in the story and enjoying the gameplay, because, uh, let me use a recent example, because, you know, I just beat the game. So Scarlet shows up, and she's like, Ha ha, I'm here! And this whole time she's just standing there. Just standing there. Oh, oh, we're ready to fight, though. Okay, and now we're ready to fight. Nope, nope, hang on. we got to talk a little bit more. Like, (laughs) I'm reminded of Golden Sun, as weird as that may sound. Because it just, it feels like a lot of scenes, the pacing, the specific pacing of the individual scenes just feels off to me. And at the same time, there's a lot of points at which people... Well, it's kind of the Xenosaga problem. I've mentioned this before. Where people will say a little bit too much... Because they don't... Because the, the the people making the game didn't have any other tools... To get across exactly what people were thinking. They didn't really have facial animation yet. They didn't really have much of the actual physical animation beyond the basics. So people had to say what they feel. And thus, I feel that it kind of adds... Kind of stretches out the dialogue. So there's several large chunks which is like... Yeah... Okay, let me give you a direct example. During, uh, I mentioned there was a song I really liked. It's the one that plays when the faculty staff takes out the two tanks. This is right towards the the lead up to the final battle, or the final battles, I should say. And it's like, oh, man, this song is awesome, and I'm getting pumped, and they're out there, and they're like, yeah, we're going to wreck stuff, and there's some good dynamics. And then the scene goes on and on and on and on and on. And the longer I sat there, as the song continues to play over and over, I just kind of slowly deflated, like, okay, why is this still happening? Okay, then the mechs show up. No, no, still more, still more. Good game. Definitely a good game. Uh, A game that I feel like I am only scratching the surface of. (laughs) I hope I remember to label. I'll, I'll make a note to myself to label this properly right after I finish this. But otherwise, all I can say is that I hope you enjoyed this outsider's perspective on this.